So how many of you guys would like to go on a cruise? Yeah. Somewhere in the ocean. Especially right now, middle of winter, right? Did you guys go on a cruise for your honeymoon? Was it awesome? It was yeah. awesome. Was it amazing? Yeah. Okay, I've never been on a cruise. I've done a lot of things. I've traveled to a lot of countries, but I've never been on a cruise ever in my life. I'd like to at some point. I wanted you to get a picture, though. Imagine you're on a cruise and you're enjoying yourself. You're having a fun time. You're playing some games or sitting in the pool or eating a nice dinner. And all of a sudden, the ship starts to sink. It's going down. Like Titanic. Like Titanic, just like it. The whole thing is going down, and there you are going to die if you don't get on a lifeboat. All right? So you're rushing, and you're racing, and you're trying to get on a lifeboat. And you finally make it onto a lifeboat, right? But there aren't enough for everybody. So as you are escaping or drifting in this lifeboat, you're watching people all around you floundering in the ocean, literally drowning and about to die, right? People that maybe you've just been swimming with, or maybe just been talking with, or maybe just been hanging out with. What would you do to try and get them on your boat? Anything, right? Wouldn't you do almost anything to try and get them in with you, to try and save them from drowning? And what I want to talk tonight about is the fact that we are all drowning in a sea of lies. I say we as in we as human beings collectively. And it doesn't seem like a sea, because you look around and you don't literally see people drowning, right? You kind of look at people and they look happy because they're smiling. And a lot of them at least, maybe not all of them. And it's easy to start thinking everybody around me is pretty happy just the way they are. And some of you maybe have felt uh, depressed at times or sad or uh, upset or lonely or something like that. And you maybe have thought, I'm the only one, or there aren't many people, because look how happy everybody is all around me. And maybe, as a Christian, you thought, I'd like to share my faith with people, but they're already so happy. They'd probably be very upset with me if I tried to rock the boat. So I want to kind of dispel those lies right now. And what we're going to do tonight is go through a lot of statistics. This will be the most I've ever used statistics in any talk in my life. So I hope it doesn't bore you. On the contrary, I hope it shocks each one of us tonight to really get a picture for where people are at around us. Now, don't look at any of this, these statistics and think, man, we, those people are so messed up, because we're all there and we've all been in it, right? But the reality is that people are suffering. You've probably heard it said that they are laughing on the outside but crying on the inside, right? And that is the reality of pretty much everybody that you will see on this campus and for the rest of your life all around you. So we're going to jump right in, and the reality is, guys, is they're not there on accident. They're there because they are believing lies that they've been told by society, by friends, right? The world's told different lies. Originally, they came from Satan himself, the father of lies. And people believe these things because they seem true. And they don't even know, oftentimes, that, that believing those lies and living their lives accordingly are what are producing the incredible destruction that they, that they fear in their own lives, right? And that they are trying to escape. And oftentimes when they try to escape it, they run right into the next lie. And you, you get the picture that people are drowning in a sea of lies, literally. There's no truth anywhere, right? They're just drowning completely engulfed by a sea of lies. So the first lie that the world tells us is that you should be the master of your own destiny. Do whatever feels good to you. Live according to your own truth quote-unquote, and follow your heart, then you'll be happy. We've heard that all the time, right? We hear that from professors on this campus, right? Everyone makes up their own truth. It's not true, by the way. Uh, and here is kind of the result of believing that lie, that I'm the master of my own destiny, that I follow my heart, that I do whatever feels good to me. The result is that 75% of the population has some level of stress. You probably think, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. 80% uh, of college students are stressed out. 
Basically, you guys, can you agree with that stat? It's the second week of school, so you're not too stressed yet, but you've definitely been there. That makes a lot of sense. And by the way, if you want any of these stats later, they're all going to be online. We'll put this video online and we'll put the, the notes up. We're doing that for cross-training and a lot of what we do so you can get it later. But anyway, so 80% of college students say they feel stressed. That makes a lot of sense. Now, going a little further, these stats get a lot sadder. Here's the next one. 15% of the people around you are depressed. So 15%, one in six of the people around you are depressed. 15% of those people will commit suicide. That hits close to home. That's very sad. In fact, the American College Health Association reports that 50% of college students will be so depressed during their college career that they won't be able to function. That's half of the college students that you see every single day walking around this campus. 20% of the people around you have a, have a real mental illness. A mental illness, it could be an eating disorder, it could be some other type of mental illness, but that's one in five of the people around you have a mental illness. 36% of the population of the people around you claim to be lonely. Is that sad? You know, when I look at people, it's hard for me to recognize that one in, more than one in three of the people that I cross paths with every day are lonely. They feel alone. With college students, it's even greater. MTV recently did a study and found 42% of college students, almost half the students you cross paths with every day are lonely. Right? They're dealing with loneliness. Get this, 25% of the population, 25% of the people around you do not have one real friend. Not even a single real friend. That's sad. And out of the people that said they do have at least one real friend, on average they had only two. So it's not like they had that many. Right? And who, what would happen if John walks up to somebody that's, that's lonely and doesn't have one real friend and you try to befriend that person? Right? You try to tell them that they were loved. You try to tell them that there was a God that wanted to have a personal relationship with them. Does that make sense? See, you're, you're reaching your hand into, right into the, the sea of lies and pulling this person out. Right? So the people around you are lonely. Right? That identity crisis, right? people don't know who I am. People don't know who they are. And so they're completely in confusion and stress and depression and loneliness. That has led to them buying into the second lie. The second lie goes kind of like this. It says, you're not happy because you don't have romance. Have we ever believed that one? I just have to find a boyfriend. I just have to find a girlfriend. Right? I'm not happy because I don't have romance. And again, it continues. Follow your heart. Do whatever feels good. Disregard standards and inhibitions. There are no consequences for your fun. The school will tell you this over and over and over, right? Sexual experimentation is good. It's actually the key to not being lonely anymore, because you'll find that other person. I'll just tell you a little secret. Being married or being in a relationship does not take away loneliness. If you're lonely before, you're going to be lonely after, right? Because there's something deeper than that that one person can't meet. Okay, so people pursue romance their own way, and the results are devastating. Get this, 22% of adults in America have an STD right now. That's about one in four, right? 19 million more will be diagnosed with an STD this year. 50% of sexually active students will get an STD by the time they're 25 years old. One in two, it's half of sexually active students, right? Many of them are going to become pregnant, and college girls actually make up the largest number of abortions in the nation. Right? Because what does society say? Well, romance is supposed to meet your needs. So go uh, get into this relationship, have sex, have fun. Oh, now I'm pregnant. 
I can't deal with this. I'm a college student, so I go take care of this issue, you know, quote unquote. Well, the reality is it doesn't solve the problem. Leaving that life, just like leaving the last life, doesn't solve the problem. The result is that there are nearly one million babies a year that are dying because of our bad choices. And statistically, probably some of you women in here have had an abortion, or at least you definitely know people that have. So when I say this statistic, I say this with complete grace, knowing that Jesus loves you just as much as he ever did if you're there, or if you know somebody that's there. And he desires a relationship with you just as much as he ever has with anyone. And he desires to forgive you and to actually give you complete joy and peace and, and, um, and, and healing from that issue. Now, typically, uh, out of the women that do go on and have those abortions to cover up this problem that resulted from believing the last life, those women end up, 60% of them, living significant parts of their life with suicidal temptations, where they're tempted to commit suicide. Right? 28% of women that have abortions attempt suicide. That's one in three. Right? As they try to deal with these consequences that society told me wouldn't exist, 18%, about one in five, attempt suicide multiple times. Okay? People are hurting. And so they buy into the next lie, and then they're hurting. Then they buy into the next lie, and then they're hurting. And see, they keep turning the lies instead of to the truth, and the hurt gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Others, still empty and confused about why sex doesn't satisfy, are told by society that they must be gay, right? Oh, that didn't make you happy. Well, of course it didn't make you happy. God didn't intend that to make you happy. That, was, that tore you apart. It destroyed you. People used you, right? But instead of people telling the truth, they say, well, then you must be gay, right? Well, the result of that, guys, and this is, and I, and I have gay friends that I love and Jesus loves as much as anybody on this planet. A lot of you guys do too in here and love them. They need to see love from Christians because they have it very often and that is wrong, right? But the modal range, get this, for homosexual lifetime sexual partners is between 100 and 500. In other words, on average, most people that live a full life as a gay person will have almost one new partner every month of their life, okay? until they die. That is because that is not satisfying. Does that make sense? When something satisfies me, I don't need to pursue another, 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 another. And when I do keep pursuing and pursuing and coming up short and coming up short and coming up short, I can be sure that that is not satisfying me. And this is a tragedy, guys. I'm not sitting here pointing my finger. The tragedy is, and this is from a peer-reviewed study, the life expectancy for gay men is between 8 and 20 years less than anybody else in society. Is that shocking? I don't want that for my friends. I don't want them to die 20 years younger than they should, than God made them to live. And get this, it's estimated that up to half of gay men, age 20 right now, will not reach their 65th birthday. Half. Half, right? We believe a lie, we act on that lie, we get the door slammed in our face. We get hurt. We get crushed. We get run into the ground because of the lie that society told me. Instead of turning to the truth and finding real freedom that Jesus promised. Now those confused sexual boundaries, wherever they are, they've resulted in abuse also. So it's not just me that gets the, the result of those bad choices, but it's others. See, my sin doesn't just hurt me, but it hurts those around me. Now get this. A lot of college women are in those bad situations not even out of their own intentions, but they've been raped or forced into a relationship that they didn't want to get into. 90% of the time, 
that college women are raped, alcohol is involved. Okay? So, just a clue, if you do not want to get raped in college, stay away from the party scene. And just a note, next fall we're going to have a lot of freshmen coming in here. And they're going to be looking up to people like that. They're going to be saying, you're a, a woman that loves God. I want to be just like you. Right? Remember the statistic next fall. Uh, the, the highest risk for freshman girls is between the first day of classes and Thanksgiving break, right, for being right. They need us to love them right off the bat, right? To connect with them right off the bat. To show them God's love right off the bat. Another area where people are being abused as a result of the sexual lies that society tells us, 33% of women, that's one in three of you in this room, were sexually abused as children. And it's not just the women, but it's the men too. 17% of men, that's almost one in five of you guys, were sexually abused as children. See, our over-sexualized culture has taught us to take out our, our misplaced sexual desires on people that are vulnerable and can't fend for themselves. Right? So the entire, do you get this picture of how much pain the people around you are dealing with? Whoever it is, they are dealing with major pain. Right? The collapse of those sexual standards not only leaves people empty and hurting, but it's eroding the foundation of our society. So get this. Society says, pursue that romance, pursue those relationships, and do it how? Live together. I had people tell me, you and Aaron aren't going to live together before you get married? You're crazy. How do you know you're compatible? And I said, I'm a guy, she's a girl. I'm pretty sure that's covered. I'm pretty sure we're going to be compatible. But anyway, and actually it's funny because the person that told me that most she said, I've been living with my boyfriend for six years, and we buy a house together, and we this together, and we that together, and we know we're locked in for life, but we can be sure of that because we live together first, right? On my honeymoon, they broke up, rocked her entire world. And she would tell me, because she was my coworker in the air quality department right after I graduated, she could not believe that her life just got flushed down to the six years of my life gone by that jerk that left me after I gave him so much, right? Well, here's the statistic. Out of couples that live together before marriage, they are five times more likely to break up than married couples are to get divorced. Five times more likely. That lie is not working. It's not producing. The, the, the fulfillment and the romantic desires that it says they don't fulfill are not being met at all. And of those that do get married in our society right now, because we're buying into that first lie about me, I've got to follow my heart, I've got to do what's best for me, I've got to find my own truth, that selfishness is leading to 50% of marriages breaking up. That's pretty sad. 50% of, around 50% of marriages are breaking up. There's a little bit of leeway in that statistic. <clears throat> and that has resulted in, and many of you uh, have been there, 26% of the young people around you having been raised in single parent homes. My parents got divorced, so I'm there. I understand where you're at if that's the case with you. It's the hardest thing that happened to me growing up. It rocked my world. Right? Thank God that, that he, he got us through it. And he said he promises if you're there that he'll work it around for your good. But, but it's still hard. And in case you think that that number, one-fourth of all young people today growing up in single-parent homes, in case you think that's not such a significant number, get this. 63% of youth suicides are from single-parent homes. 90% of homeless children and runaways come from single-parent homes. 80% of rapists motivated by displaced anger come from single-parent homes. 85% of children with behavioral disorders come from single-parent homes. 85% of youths in prison come from single-parent homes. 
Teenage pregnancy is more than twice as likely in single parent homes, and girls are three times as likely to become single parents if they grow up in a single parent home. Right? So that degradation of the family that God intended to be a foundation for our society, as much as your professors might say it's no big deal, it's destroying our nation. And it's filling our prisons to capacity with people that desperately needed both a mom and a dad in their home and they didn't get it. Right? Our selfishness is also, that, that came from that first life, right? Our selfishness, doing things my way for me. That's resulting in the worst economic crisis in decades and in most people's lifetimes. The total unemployment rate right now is near 10%. That means one in 10 people, probably not college students because most of you guys are in school or have part-time jobs, but most, like mostly one in 10 adults doesn't have a job right now. My dad lost his job, ended up losing his house, had to move, can't pay his bills right now. Right? So I know many people that have been hit by this tragedy. Uh, the, the, that rate, though, is a little bit, it kind of underemphasizes the problem, because not only do 10% of people in this country need jobs, a lot of them are underemployed, right? So they're not technically unemployed, because they have a job, but they need more. That's where my dad is now. He finally found a job but it's part-time and it doesn't pay well, right? And th that number is 20% of the population. That brings the unemployment rate up. So think about one in five of the people that you see every day, mostly off this campus, <laughs> desperately needing financial help, right? Home values are plummeting. Some areas have seen home values drop by 20% or more. Many are even losing their homes as we're having the worst foreclosure um, situation in, in probably since the Great Depression, right? And it's not getting better. The pain, those types of pains, both from the personal results of believing these lies, the relational results of believing these lies, the societal results of believing those lies, those pains have led people to try and self-medicate, to come up with coping mechanisms for dealing with these issues. Right? Here's one that hits real close to home. 17%, almost one in five of all college students are involved in some form of self-injury, whether it's cutting or some other form of self-abuse, right? The pain is so bad on the outside that they turn it inward to try and find an escape, to try and feel something, right? To try and not be empty anymore, to try and not be depressed anymore. They turn inward with their frustration, right? Most of the people around you are also enslaved to some form of addiction. Put it this way. Approximately 14 million people in the United States are addicted to alcohol abuse, or, or abuse alcohol, right? That's 7.4% of the population that is addicted to alcohol. And out of that nearly 8%, or nearly 1 in 10 people around you that are addicted to alcohol, get this, 95% of them will die from their alcoholism. 95% of them will die from their alcoholism. Wow. It's crazy. And if you're an alcoholic, your life expectancy is 26 years less than anybody else. Isn't that terrible, right? See, we're self-medicating ourselves to death. 8% of the U.S. population uses illegal drugs. I think that's an understatement on the campus, right? <laughs> Maybe 80% on campus or higher, who knows? 40 million American adults are addicted to porn. That's got to be an understatement, right? It's one of the largest industries in our country. In fact, the pornography industry, I heard last week, it is larger than all other internet and computer industries combined. You take Apple, Mac, 
Microsoft, all of them, put them together, iTunes and everything else, iPods, iPads, all of it, all the cell companies, and the porn industry swamps it all, right? College students, male and female, it's astronomically high. This is not just a male issue. Again, it's trying to meet a need that exists because I believe lies that society told me, right? You guys get the picture that everybody around you is drowning in a sea of lies and struggling to get out and finding nothing but more lies, right? These pressures are more than we can handle, and they're creating a medical nightmare in our country right now with medical costs uh, skyrocketing out of control. Our society is in turmoil with itself, right? We have agitation inside of our own society, right? We're splintering, we're polarized more than ever in history. And beyond that, we're at war with the rest of the world and other countries. There is a whole lot happening inside us individually and corporately as a society. We're believing lies and it's leaving us really, really messed up. Now here's what I want to tell you is everyone is desperately searching. There's no one around you that's perfectly happy. So that picture that, that we thought of in the beginning about how many other people have this smiley face that you cross paths with every day and you think, oh, they must be happy. They're probably not interested in what I have to offer. The reality is that they're not happy. They are smiling on the outside again, but, but crying on the inside, right? On the inside, they're desperately lonely. They're depressed. They're hurting. They're probably engaging in very self-destructive behaviors. If you add up all those statistics that I read tonight, and honestly, that's not even half of the statistics that are out there for so many other problems. If you just add all those up, it comes up to well over 300% of the population. You could word that a different way. You could say that everybody around you deals with at least three of those issues, right? When you start thinking of it in those perspectives, they need the truth. They need real answers that nobody else is giving them. No one around you is normal. Does that make sense? You could say it this way, normality is an abnormality, right? Because no one's normal. They're all searching. No one around you is satisfied. Everyone is drowning in a sea of lies, and this is what's so cool. Jesus loves them, and he offers hope, and he offers salvation, right? Cash, cars, careers, condos, cuties, and computers, the six C's that we always talk about, they're not doing the trick, right? They're not doing the trick. They're leaving people empty. Right? When, when God tells us, here's a standard, it's for my own good. God's not putting it there just to jip me. He's doing it to give me freedom, like he promised, and that only he can offer and only he can come through on. Right? Even if we could be happy on our own, which we're not, even if we could, we still have a sin problem. Right? So far beyond my own happiness or my own day-to-day -day life, I still am sinful and separated from God for all of eternity. And that's an even bigger issue that for sure no lie the world could ever tell could solve. Do you get the picture? We're desperate to need. We need a Savior. Now, I want to read Matthew 9, 36 through 37. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to this short passage. And this is the only passage that I'm going to make you turn to tonight, but it's so good. This isn't underlined or highlighted in your Bible. Please underline or highlight it. Those are some of the stats while you're turning there. I'm, I want to contrast this with Christ's attitude and then his answers. Right? And we'll get done in five minutes. But I think it'll be encouraging. It'll be good. Okay, you there? Matthew 9, 36 through 37. Okay, you guys all there? When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Why did Jesus have compassion on the crowds? 
right? It says, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. When you look at the college students passing by you every day, God wants you not to look at them and say, oh, they're probably happy, what do I have to say? But instead, Andy doesn't want you to think the other end of the spectrum, what a simple jerk that is, <laughs> right? He wants you to look at them and have compassion, the same compassion he had, to realize, yeah, they're screwed up, but so were some of you, but he, he saved you from that, and he's still saving you from that, because none of us are there yet, right? He wants us to have compassion because they are harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. They're trying to survive in a sea full of waves that are much larger than them, right? And they're drowning. So I need to have compassion on them. And here's the next thing. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Okay? So those people are hungry for Jesus. He said that. And he didn't lie. They're, they're harassed and helpless. And they're hungry for Jesus. So the problem isn't that they're not responding to Jesus. The problem is I'm not sharing Jesus, right? He said, in the next verse, to pray that God some laborers into the harvest. And each one of us, we get to be an answer to that prayer, right? We get to be the people that take that good news to a world that desperately needs it. You guys have heard me say this before, but the depravity that you see all around you is evidence that people are searching for God. You can put it this way. The hotter the desert, the thirstier people are going to be, right? The hotter the desert, the thirstier they're going to be. And it's really hot, and it's really dry, and they're really thirsty, and they don't need more sand. A lot of times Christians go, well, I need to, like, contextualize the gospel and try and make it just like where they're at. That's like saying, this guy's in the desert, you know? So, I can cup of water. Imagine how shocking that would be. Like, put some sand in that water. Give me some sandy water. Right? No. Somebody that's, that's dying of dehydration in the desert wants an ice cold glass of water. Right? They don't want any sand. I need to give the truth as Jesus said it. I don't need to adulterate it or change it. Right? And Jesus, by the way, he saved somebody that was drowning in the sea. Remember the story with Peter? Peter starts walking to Jesus. It's in Matthew 14. And, and he, he, his faith is lacking, and he starts to drown. And Peter yells out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately, Scripture says, reaches out his hand and pulls him out. And that's where this whole campus is out, drowning. And my prayer is that they would reach out their hand and say, Lord, save me. And, and that they would reach out that hand in response to hearing that that salvation is an option. Because you told them, right? Because Jared talked about his faith in class, right? Because Ashley talked about it at Trash Club. Who knows? We had it. It's so exciting, guys. Jesus put it this way. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So I'm going to kind of go fast here, but we always say what is truth? Truth is reality. And then we also always say what is truth? We say, well, Jesus is truth. And this really started bothering me a couple weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago. And I said, well, if we're going to say they're both truth, we have to connect the two, right? We have to say why, because logically Jesus has to equal reality. So I started thinking, and the scripture popped into my head. Colossians 1, 15 through 17, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In other words, Jesus is the creator of everything you see around you, and he's what holds everything around you together. 
He's why we don't disintegrate into nothing. Scientists look for the theory of everything. Have you ever heard this? Ron has, I'm sure. The theory of everything. It's this elusive theory that would tie all other theories together. And it hit me, Jesus is the theory of everything. <laughs> don't quote that exactly like that. <laughs> but the reality is that only he ties the reality of the universe together. Only he is reality, so to say. Only he, therefore, could claim to be the truth. Nobody else could claim to be the truth. They could claim to have the truth. They could claim to speak the truth. They couldn't claim to be the truth. He claimed to be the truth. And he is alone the truth, and he alone has the answers for you, for me, and for everybody that you're going to cross paths with out there. Right? He alone has those answers. So I want to ask you, before I read his answers really quickly, are you convinced that only he has the answers? And think that through in your head. Has anything else ever worked? Has anything else ever satisfied? Are you convinced that he's the only way? Are you convinced that only he can offer life? Because a lot of times it's easy to say those things but not believe those things, to have one foot in my faith, one foot in the world, thinking somehow that this foot in the world is going to satisfy me, not realizing that only he can. And we need to get to this point. It's like what Elijah said at Mount Carmel, if God is God, follow him, right? If God is God, follow him. Only he can offer true life, and he promised that saying on the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, now here's the truth right from Jesus' mouth. A lot of you guys have heard me read this before. It's a bunch of different passages just put together, all from Jesus' own mouth. If you want the references, you can get them later. But check this out. Right from Jesus' mouth, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that who, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. How many of those people that we talked about in those statistics are carrying heavy burdens? And they need to come to him. And he says, and I will give you rest. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. Think of all the hunger that's driving people to lead those lives. Jesus says, come to me, you won't go hungry. He goes on, and he says, And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Streams of living water will flow from within him. He'll satisfy me the way no one else can. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't be stumbling through the darkness, because you will have the light that leads to life. All who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the darkness. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Anyone who listens to my teaching and obeys me is wise. Anyone who hears my teaching and ignores it is foolish. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must put aside your selfish ambition, shoulder your cross, and follow me. How do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul in the process? Sin is unbelief in me. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. They will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. If you try to keep your life for yourself, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find true life. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins. But they have already passed from death into life. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. 
everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. That's his promise to you, by the way. I used to fear death. He used to keep me up night after night, just fearing death. And I realized Jesus made me a personal promise that he would raise me up if I had my faith in him. Pretty good stuff, right? My purpose is to give life eternal. And Okay, my purpose is to give life in all its fullness. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear me calling and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal as friends. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Be sure of this, I am with you always, I will never fail you, I will never forsake you. That is the truth, spoken by truth himself. And that is the solution to all the problems that all the lies put me in in the first place. And when I really buy into what Jesus is telling me there, I'm going to experience the true life, the abundant life that he said only he can offer, right? And until then, I won't experience that. And I'll always be wondering why that last thing didn't work and why it didn't satisfy and why it didn't make me happy. So how do I respond to this? Now, I want to say if you're a non-Christian, if you've never, and by that word, I mean somebody that's never started a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to tell you that only he has the answers. And you're probably sitting there thinking, yeah, nothing else has ever worked. Right? Nothing else ever got me there. Nothing else ever saved me from everything you just talked about, all those statistics. I feel those things. And on top of that, I also feel very distant from God. And I know that my sin has separated me from him. In fact, I don't even know if he listens to me anymore. I don't even know if he likes me. In fact, I probably think he hates me. I actually had a guy tell me that once. I was at a gas station, and he said, Hey, man, I don't know where you stand with God, but I want you to know Jesus loves you a lot. He's like this big, huge guy. He's at the, he, he owns, or at least works all the time at the Needles gas station up by Burger King. You guys know what I'm talking about? The really big guy? I told him, Jesus really loves you, man. He goes, No, he doesn't. He's pissed at me. <laughs> I said, What are you talking about? And he goes, Jesus hates me. <laughs> I said, no, I'm pretty sure he doesn't hate you because he says he loves you with an everlasting love. He goes, I guess you're right. I did hear that one time. Well, he's just really, really mad then. <laughs> okay? So maybe you feel like that guy. And I want to tell you, no matter what you've ever done, that's not the case with God. He loves you as much as he ever has. And he wants a relationship with you as much as he ever has. He died on the cross to give you that relationship. And the Bible kind of puts it real clearly. It says every single one of us is a sinner. So even though God loves me, I'm a sinner. And that sin, I know I'm a sinner because I'm selfish. I'm not perfect. I, I don't even measure up to my own standards, right? And I know I don't measure up to what the Bible says I should be living. And so my sin separates me from God. Just like sin always separates relationships, right? I go up and punch Malcolm in the nose. He's probably not going to want to go hang out tomorrow. Right? <laughs> Sin separates friendships, and it does that with God just like it would with anyone else. Now, here's the deal. It ended there. In fact, we, we shared this, Brandon and I, last year we shared with this guy that got back from Iraq. We brought him up to campus one day. Not Brandon Cox, Brandon Hankins. And remember what he said? When we got through that, that second point about sin separating us from God, he goes, If that's the case, why are you Christians always singing? Okay? Because why are you so happy? That's the worst thing anybody could ever hear. You really got it. Well, the reality is that Jesus died on the cross and he paid for every single sin from my past, my present, my future. Paid for it all. Covered it. 
And then he said, though, that each one of us has to choose whether we're going to trust him or not. He said, are you going to put your faith in me or not? We receive that gift, that payment for my sins, through faith. Through saying, Jesus, by an act of my will, I choose today to let you come into my life. And I'm asking you to forgive my sins. And as, as easy as that sounds, it's also profound. It's the biggest decision you could ever make. And also the most no-brainer decision you could ever make. Right? But you're literally signing your life over to somebody else. But for the greatest return that you could ever get. It's a big decision. But I want to encourage you, if you're there, you can make that decision tonight. And grab any one of us. We'd love to talk more with you. And if you're not ready, just keep coming. And when you're ready, that's good. This is between you and God. It's not between any of us here. We don't have to know. We don't have to see. It's between you and God. But I would encourage you, if you don't know Christ, respond to him tonight. Okay, if you are a Christian, how should you respond to the truth? And I want to say the abundant life is only in Jesus. John 10.10, he promised it. Bill Bright put it this way. He said, there are no happy, disobedient Christians, and there are no unhappy, obedient Christians. Kind of great quote. There are no happy, disobedient Christians, and there are no unhappy, obedient Christians. If you want true life, take Jesus up on his words and follow him, and you will find true life. <laughs> Lose your own life, and you will find true life just like he promised. And then the next step, if you already have a relationship with Christ, is when you look at the people crossing paths with you every single day, sitting next to you in class, working with you. I'm going to share a story in, in a minute, and I didn't plan to share about a co-worker in college. When you see those people, look at them with compassion. Don't believe the lie going through your head that they're probably really happy and they're going to get mad if I ruin their happiness. Even if they were, that'd be bad boundaries, by the way. Right? But, but trust by faith that this person is hurting someone, and they're searching somewhere. They might not even know they're searching, but I know they're searching inside, because every person is. Okay, now I'm going to, and, and then share the good news with them. Share. I love Allie. Allie's always trying to share with her friends about Jesus, and, and bringing friends that, that would normally probably be a little wary of coming into this room, but because of Allie, they will, they will come here, right? She's taking this step to, to talk to these people right where they're at. We could all be doing that. Okay? Now I'm going to tell a story and then we're going to close. When I was in college, I worked at Zoomies. I helped start the Zoomies here at the mall. And, yes, I helped open it. Why are you laughing? Are you like this laughing? It's awesome. Yeah. It was the only snowboard shop that would hire me back then. But anyway, so I, I love this job because it was all on the snowboarding and skating. They didn't pay me enough, but it was fun to be around a lot of snowboards every day. And that was a big part of my life. And I always have little pocket Bibles now. I've been replaced by my phone. But anyway, thank God it was there then. And we do a pocket check every night. I bet they still do it here. None of you guys work at Zoom, right? Okay, let's go check. But we, we do a pocket check to make sure that we weren't stealing things. Because that had happened in the past where people have been stealing things where employees have been. And I always had my Bible, so my coworkers would see it. And one night, I was the closing manager. And a, a, a college girl named Kelly was working with me. And the front was closed, and I'm counting the cash drawer, and she's sweeping. And she just, she looked at me, and she said, are you a Christian, by the way? And I said, yeah, why, why do you ask? And she said, because I, I saw that Bible in your pocket. We'd only worked together one other time, and that night we had been a pocket check. So the only time she ever saw that Bible, she noticed it. Right? I said, yeah, I'm a Christian. And she said, well, I saw that Bible in your pocket a lot. And, and then she said, this is no joke, the first word she said after that, God would never forgive me. 
said, what in the world do you mean, Kelly? And she said, God would never forgive me because I've had too much sex. And I said, are you kidding me? God wants to forgive you right now. God wants to be with you right now. That's not holding God back. And I started going through the gospel with her. She started crying there at the store. And I mean, crying and crying and crying and crying as I'm trying to count the cash and close the store out. Right? She ended up putting her trust in Christ right there in the shop that night, which I thought was awesome. I thought that was the greatest story ever. But it didn't end there, guys. It didn't end there. Uh, next Sunday or the Sunday after, but shortly after that point, she shows up at our church with her boyfriend. And she says, I wanted you to meet my boyfriend, Wally. And this is no joke, the first thing he tells me. And if Aaron wasn't there, we were dating at the time when we were married, but if Aaron wasn't there to hear this, I would doubt my memory. The first thing he tells me is, if you don't tell me how to have Christ in my life, I'm going to kill myself. Okay? Because his girlfriend had been telling him about how Christ came in his life. This guy was wealthy. He was young. He was younger than me. I was 22, 23, about to graduate from college. He was 20, 21, something like that. He had a concrete pumping business that he owned. He owned a $500,000 house in Las Vegas, no, no mortgage. He owned nice cars. He lived in, he had a whole team to run his company, and he just lived off his money in Durango skiing and having fun and living with his girlfriend, Kelly, who was in college here. And he tells me, Nate, I've run over people to, to acquire my wealth. I've done things that I regret. I can't, I, I can't even sleep at night thinking about what a bad person I am. And if I don't find a way to have forgiveness for what I've done, I'm going to kill myself because I can't live with this conscience anymore. And, and that afternoon, he also put his trust in Christ and, and became my brother, <laughs> right? I want to encourage you that that's so many people around you. You might look at that couple and say, oh, she's working at a cool job, you know, going to college, and he's rich. He has everything. I want to be like him. On the inside, though, they were desperate and hungry and needed a Savior. So that's all I'm going to say. I'm going to pray right now, and then we're going to have some snacks. I don't know if there's any coffee left because we hit that up pretty hard. But anyway, <laughs> thanks for coming, you guys. And definitely come next week because it's going to be awesome. I can't wait to see this video. Okay, God, we love you so much, and we thank you so much that you alone provide the answers and that you reach out your hand in love and in compassion, and you draw us out of the sea of lies that's drowning us, God. Thank you for what you've done in our lives. God, thank you for dying on the cross so we could even be here tonight. And God, thank you that you don't stop. Thank you that you don't quit on us when we fall short. Thank you that your mercy is as sufficient today as it was when I first trusted you. And it's going to be just as sufficient tomorrow. God, I pray that you'd make us more the people that you want us to be. That you teach us to love the students around us and the people around us with the same heart and the same love and the same actions that you display for us, God. We love you so much, Jesus. And we put all this in your hands. Amen. All right, guys. See you next week.